My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. Our Sunday School is part of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. To prepare for this lesson, please go to OurSundaySchool.com for a copy of today's handout. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Our Sunday School. Glad you guys are with us. Glad you were with us online. Appreciate y'all being there. And uh, we're in uh, Mark chapter 14 today. Uh, coming dangerously close to the end of Mark chapter 14. I was telling Julie yesterday, if, if Sunday school lessons were 55 minutes long, I think I could do this text in one swing, but it's just a bit longer than I can in a, in a Sunday school class. So we're, uh, we're going to start in verse 66 today and get about halfway through that last paragraph. Um, but by way of intro today, I just want to say a couple of things. I have, I have been thinking about, you know, we asked this question, uh, are there any literary or structural observations about the text? And, and something happens in today's text that we don't see again that is different than the other Gospels. Uh, the other Gospels, so the, the disciples all flee before the cross. Uh, Jesus is there basically by himself with the... Uh, some supporters, uh, John is there. And then there's a lot of engagement with the apostles after the resurrection. And in Mark's gospel, there's really not a lot of that. And especially if you put, you know, those last, um, what is it, uh, 11, 12 verses in chapter 16 into the, well, we're not really sure if that's in the original category or not. What you end up with is this specific piece of text in verses 66 through 72 really being the last time that Simon Peter does anything in the Gospel of Mark. So I don't know the last time that you were watching a movie or wrapping up a TV show. We wrapped up a couple, uh, wrapped up a couple seasons uh, this week at our house. And uh, either the last episode or right before the last episode, you start to see how the director begins to, okay, we gotta, get, we gotta resolve this character's storyline, you gotta move them off the scene, you gotta take care of all their issues. And the funny thing is, like, we leave Simon Peter in Mark's gospel broken and weeping. Like, that's the last real picture that we have of him. And um, the, the thought here was spurred, I read a, you guys know me, I read, a lot. Uh, it's one of the books I read this week. Not an overly compelling, it's 24-6. I, I thought the title was fantastic, so I got it and read it. Uh, not a very compelling argument for uh, Sabbatarianism, but uh, there was a quote in here about the origin, the origin of uh, the, the day of rest. Now, I thought this was pretty good. It's probably like the one really good quote for the book. It said, up to this point, everything had been created out of nothing, but on the morning of the seventh day, God made nothing out of something. Because up to that point, he had made something out of nothing, but on the seventh day, he made nothing out of something, which I thought was pretty good. But uh, the guy that wrote it was a, a doctor, and he talked about his experience in medical school. Because, and I don't know all the terms, so if this is your field, help me out with the right terms. Uh, but they go on rotations to get a little bit of this and a little bit of this and a little bit of this and a little bit of this so that when you're a doctor you have at least some experience with a very broad brush of all the disciplines in medicine. And during his uh, rotation in uh, uh, radiology, 
he was with a doctor, and the doctor showed him a, uh, an image, and he said, okay, let's uh, diagnose this patient from this image. And he didn't let him, he didn't let him talk to the patient. It's just, here's the image only. So they, they critiqued, and they looked, and they looked, and they looked, and they're like, they don't, we, don't, we don't see anything wrong, right? And the doctor's like, well, let me point out a couple things. I'll, I'll show you this, and show you this, show you this, all right? He said, uh, but do you, do you see anything really significantly wrong with this patient? No, 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 no. To a person, they all said no. He said, well, that was what, uh, that's what their, uh, uh, their GP said, and that's what the uh, radiologist that read this said. But I called the patient this morning to tell her that she's going to die of cancer in the next few weeks. And like, what? So they, all, you know, they, they go right back to the, the picture. What, what is he seeing here that we are not seeing? And the doctor said, well, I'll tell you what it is. It's not what I'm seeing, it's what I'm not seeing. And what I'm not seeing, and it was a, a picture of basically like this part of the person. So what I'm not seeing is a right clavicle because it's been eaten away by cancer. Well, that sounds very bad, right? So, so sometimes when we are going through a text, and you guys know me, we've, we've, we spend a lot of time talking about what is here, the specific words, the parsing of the words, but it is also helpful to notice what is not here. And in chapter 15, there's no disciples. And in chapter 16, there's shockingly few. Peter does show up, but he's just... Uh, on the periphery being told what to do. So if you think about the Gospel of Mark as a story that's being told, we are coming to the part of the story where we are resolving characters and moving them off the stage. So just kind of think about that. That's the mindset that I want us to be in um, this morning. And it is great to see Dave Barber and Margie Barber making spectacularly awful knee puns. Uh, in the chat, so that will keep me going today. Thank you for that, guys. I appreciate it. Uh, Dave had a total knee replacement this last week, um, which is why he's not sitting right there. So he's in there somewhere. Actually, he's probably that direction. Is that direction? No, it's not even that direction. It's like that direction, isn't it? Yeah, okay. I don't know where you are, Dave. We're praying for you. That's fantastic. All right, so let's go to Mark chapter 14. We'll read the second half of the chapter. Uh, We'll start with verse 32. Uh, head on down to verse 72, then we'll come back and pick up with 66. So Mark 14. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came 
one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. And they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And as he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire, now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to evoke a curse upon himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. So Mark chapter 14. So I told you we're going to pick up with verse 66 today. So let's jump right in. And I'm going to ask this question at the end of class today. So what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far, because there might be something in today's text, and those of you online as well, welcome to those of you online again, there might be something in this text that resonates with you, uh, it certainly has with me. So verse 66, and as Peter was below in the courtyard, and this was as a present act of participle, so he had been here for a second, as it is pretty obvious from the text to pick up, he was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest. Now, one of the odd things about Mark's gospel is that he will inject seemingly strange details into his narrative 
But he's doing that so that we can help connect dots later on and make things resonate. And I, and I mentioned this when we talked about uh, Malchus uh, a few weeks ago, actually a couple of months ago. In verse 47 of chapter 14, it says, But one of those who stood by, we know this from the other Gospels, is Simon Peter, drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Right? So this guy who, uh, we have no idea what he was actually doing, but he gets his ear cut off. Uh, Jesus heals his ear in the midst of this craziness. But this would have obviously been a story that would have been told. Uh, this fellow had a, a, uh, an interesting first encounter, very likely a first encounter with Jesus. And, uh, and he would have told somebody. So here we see, back in verse 66... Somebody else in the household of the high priest, very likely someone that could have been told. So we've got one of the servant girls of the high priest. I think it's very likely that she would have known Malchus. Came and seeing him. Now, seeing Peter. So at the, at the bottom of page 504 in your handout, this word for seeing is the Greek word orao. And it just means to stare at or look at and see clearly. Um, it, it's a pretty common word for to look at. When it's emphasized, it can mean to be piercingly staring at, but there are other Greek words that really go a little farther than arao. Um, so I want to just keep that in, in mind for just a second. So she saw Peter warming himself. Now we already know that Peter is warming himself. That's already been referenced earlier in Mark chapter 14, and he's doing so uh, with the guards. And these would have been very likely the same guards that arrested Jesus. So he's hanging out in the wrong crowd. And then in verse uh, 67, it says, she looked at him. And this is a different Greek word. This is not arao. This is emblepo. And this is, this is to, to really dial in. So some of you had parents that could give you the look. You know what I'm talking about? This is closer to that. Like this is the, like the, oh, okay. They're not just like scanning the room. Yes, my children are in the room. I'm good. This is the, no, no, you're up to something and I'm going to reprimand you, and I'm not going to say a word. <laughs> this is that piercing looking very, very clear. Uh, Jesus actually did this, uh, but the first time this word's used in Mark's gospel is Mark 8, 25, and this is the verse that describes when Jesus heals the blind man at Bethsaida, this is he saw clearly, right? So he was blind, and now he sees clearly. Like, oh, okay, all right, so everything is clear. It's in focus. We're understanding um, in verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 21, Jesus looks at someone this way. This is the, we, he's affectionately known as the rich young ruler. And, and Jesus looks at him, and his immediate response after he looks at him is that he, the text says he loves him. All right. So when Jesus sees clearly who we are, and this is just hard to get my head around, when he sees us clearly for the sinful wretches that we are, he loves us. Like, what a wonderful response. So I just kind of keep that in the back of your mind, that, that this word can be used from everything from a, I was blind, now I see, to the way that Jesus looks at people. But she looks at Peter. So she looks at him, and she says, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. So here's one of the ironic things that I think are, is true in Mark's gospel. 
relatively simultaneously to what's going on here, because these interactions, these multiple interactions, this would have taken a while, that all this, the Gospels that talk about this talk about the coming and going and coming and going and, and several different accusations. And relatively consistent to what's going on out here in the courtyard where truthful testimony is being given about who knew who and who was with whom, you've got the kangaroo court a few yards in the house that's saying all sorts of lying false witnesses. So I want you to see the, see the contrast here between Jesus being faithful in the affront of lies and Peter being unfaithful in the face of truth. Right? So it's not just a Jesus faithfulness, Peter's unfaithfulness. It's lots of other dynamics that Mark is stacking on top of this. And I think it's fascinating how he does this. So she's telling the truth about this, right? And she says, you also were with him. And this word for were is in the imperfect, so it's repeatedly. So maybe her job had her come into contact with Jesus and his disciples more often, but she had some firsthand knowledge of who Peter was, and she recognized him. Remember, they're around the fire. This is at night, but you'd be able to see clearly around the fire. So it says, you were with the Nazarene. Now, for those of you in the room, uh, I've got a little map that's on your table. For those of you online, I've got one on the screen. And uh, the Nazarene. So where is Nazareth on the map? You know where Nazareth is on the map. Nazareth is up north. Uh, and Nazareth is also in the area called Galilee. It's the purple section, light pink section called Galilee. So when you hear say, somebody say, yeah, you're from Galilee, well, that, there was a specific accent that would have accompanied Galilee. Now, um, I'm looking right now. It doesn't look like my mom is on this morning. That may or may not influence what I'm about to say. Uh, but I grew up in Shelbyville, Tennessee. And if you're from Shelbyville, Tennessee, you don't say Shelbyville. You say shovel. And everybody knows that's how you say it. When I was giving a speech in uh, my very first speech in freshman speech class in college, it was a Two minutes on who you are, introduce yourselves. And I started with, all right, y'all, I reckon we ought to get started. My name's Jim, and I'm from Shovel, Tennessee. And uh, instantly, the teacher who was sitting in the back of the room started furiously writing things down. I was like, what? It's kind of weird. Just got started, and she's already writing stuff. I'm like, what in the world is this about? And the only feedback that she gave me for that entire speech was probably not best to start with, all right, y'all, and she tried to spell it the way that I said it, and it was hideously wrong. Uh, we best get started. Uh, and it ended up being some of the best feedback that I've ever gotten, because it was a, you should think about how you begin a thing before you begin a thing. This is very helpful feedback, right? But she asked me at the end of class to say the name of the city that I grew up in again. I said, yeah, it's Shovel, Tennessee. She said, can you spell that for me? She wrote it out, and she said, okay, Jim, the number of syllables you're saying doesn't match the number of letters that I just wrote down. Like, you need to, like, how, how does somebody who's not from there say it? I was like, oh, they say it's Shelbyville. I was like, you might want to think about that. I said, okay, all right. I see where you're coming from. 
Well, if you were from Nazareth, if you were from Galilee, you had an accent. And that accent was not like the accent in Jerusalem. Galilee would have been considered, even though it's up north, and we don't think about Yankees in America as being redneck, but it would have been the equivalent of a redneck, backwoods, country kind of an approach. Not the refined Jerusalem language. And remember, we're in the courtyard of the high priest. So this is the upper echelon of religious society. This is the educated, this is the elite, this is the highbrow. And then you've got Simon Peter, who got recruited off a fishing boat, right? I mean, this is two radically different worlds. Uh, which one does not belong? Which one is not like the other? All right, you were with the Nazarene Jesus, verse 68. But he denied. Okay. Well, and if, if you're a person that believes it's okay to tell a white lie sometimes, to, to make a bigger point or to be safe, or to, like you'll, you'll look at this and you're like, well, of course he denied it. He's got the soldiers that arrested Jesus sitting right around him. This makes all kinds of sense for his personal safety. And the problem is he just denied Jesus Christ. Right? I mean, there's an, there's an issue here. So let's not miss the issue. But this word for denied is in the aorist tense, which we don't have an aorist tense in English, but you can think about it as it happens one time and it doesn't matter when it happened. It's just more about the happening than the when it happened. It's not really a past, present, or future. Most of the time, it's just translated as a simple past tense. So he denied it. The only time this word's used is of Peter in verse 68 and verse 70 in Mark's gospel. Saying, and the saying, however, is present active participle, which means... He denied it, but he said these words several times. I neither know nor understand what you mean. So this know is in the perfect tense, which means completed action with the results continuing. So the idea is, I haven't ever known him, and right now I don't know what you're talking about. I haven't ever known him. I don't know what you're talking about. He says this repeatedly. Which is really sad, right? I mean, he just, he just said, the last three, three and a half years of my life, no, I'm just, I'm denying all of that. He's, he's skipping over the Jesus section of his life and going back to the fishing section of his life. So when we see him in other gospels later on, post-resurrection, out fishing, this is where that decision was made. Right? So it, it makes sense that he dug into this position for a few days. And fortunately for all of us, it wasn't forever. But God has a wonderful way of redeeming those that deny him. So the text goes on. It says, and he went out. The gateway and the rooster crowed. Now this word for went out is... Uh, <laughs> It's a bit ironic how it starts and how it ends in Mark's gospel. The first time it shows up is in Mark 1.45. And uh, the text in 1.45 says this is, uh, this is the, uh, the leper that Jesus cleanses. It says, but this leper went out and began to freely talk about it, to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but it was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. So we start off using this word from a like... We can't contain the message of this good news of Jesus Christ. 
And the last time we see it used in Mark's gospel is somebody who just denied Jesus going out to the gateway, trying to get away from these folks. And then the rooster crowed. Now, I will tell you there's an error on the handout on page 506. Uh, the, yellow, the yellow highlighted words there and the rooster crowed. There are Greek words for those. They did not make it into this copy of the handout. And I apologize for that. I'll get that corrected. So then verse 69. So, that, so, so why would we talk about the rooster crowing? What does that matter? Some random fowl doing some foul thing, right? What, who cares? What's the big deal? Well, Jesus had told him, you're going to deny me before the rooster crows twice, right? So here we go. So verse 69, and the servant girl saw him. Now, from Mark's language here in verse 69, who are we talking about there in verse 69? The servant girl there. Yep, her and the bystanders. Have we seen this servant girl before? Yes. yes, we have. That's exactly right. Thank you. Yes, we saw the servant girl. This is the same person speaking in 66 and six, uh, that uh, we identified in 66 and starts to speak in 67, right? And he, Peter responds to her in 68, all right? So she shows back up in 69. This is going to be important because we're going to compare some scripture, and I want you to see that there's not an error in the Bible here. So here we go. So the servant girl saw him and began again, just in case we weren't convinced it was the same one. Yes, it's the same one. Began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. Now this man is, is a present active indicative. That's the right now is. She's, she is... She is doing everything she can do to round up Peter's faithfulness, right? Like right now, he's one of them. <laughs> he's just denied that he's one of them. And she's like, no, 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 right now, you're one of them. She might be, other than Jesus, the only person on the planet that would view where he is, what he's doing, and what he's just said as still part of being with Jesus. Verse 7, but again, he denied. Now, this time, the word denied is in the imperfect tense. This is repeatedly. So he's not just singularly denying, he's repeatedly denying. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter. Now, have we heard the bystanders say anything else up to this point in the narrative? No, we've heard the servant girl, same servant girl, say something twice, and he denied it. But now the text says the bystanders again said to Peter. So if this is the at least second time they've said something, how many times did Peter deny Jesus? Twice to the servant girl. And then we've got again to the bystanders. You're like, wait, that sounds like more than three. Yeah, it's a lot. Right? And you might be thinking, well, now Jesus said he would deny him three times. Jesus didn't say only exactly three times. Right? It's okay. You can actually do something more than a certain number of things, and the certain number that was forecasted is still true. 
Again, said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. And the other Gospels go into a little more detail on this. Uh, they say that your speech has given you away. right? You, you don't sound like one of us. Which, again, is a shockingly wonderful thing to say about somebody who follows Jesus Christ. It's like, you don't sound like one of us, the bunch of pagans that are sitting around this fire. right? So let's go back and do a little comparison. We have just a minute to do this. So I want you to open your Bibles up to, Mark, to Matthew 26. So mine has two of... I remember when I first got a Bible, it had two of these little thread things, the bookmarks. I thought, why would you ever need... Like, what do you, who needs two of them? Like, what in the world? Yeah. Says the guy who probably has 47 open tabs on his... Uh, internet browser window right now, right? Yeah, we, more of these is better. Let's go to Matthew 26. We'll look at the corresponding passage over here. This is verses 69 through 74. So we'll read through these. We'll do a little... We're going to get kind of detailed here. So now, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, what's the next word? Another. <gasps> what? 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 Another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Oh, yeah, sorry. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. So, is there an error in the Bible? Give me a resounding answer to that question. No, there we go. All right, so when our, when our starting point is that God actually knows what he's doing, that is a safe place to begin. I, I will tell you that you, you can land there too. So let's look at the exact words that are used. So in Matthew 26, the first accusation is, you were with Jesus the Galilean. Okay? In Mark, what's the first accusation? You were with the Nazarene Jesus. Now, we looked at the map just a second ago, and you could make the case that saying somebody was from Nazareth or saying somebody was from Galilee, if you're in Jerusalem, was calling you a redneck hick either way, right? You're kind of in the same ballpark, right? I have friends that don't live in the state of Tennessee. I don't live in North Georgia. They're a long way away from here. They don't say that I live in Chattanooga. They say I live in Tennessee. Right? So you, you can sometimes interplay. Okay, we're, we're in the ballpark. Okay, maybe those are the same. We'll take, keep looking. Matthew 26, the second comment. This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Okay. The second accusation in Mark this man is one of them. 
Do those sound like the same? Or does the second in Matthew and the first in Mark sound shockingly similar? The second one in Matthew is this, was, this one was with Jesus the Nazarene. The first one in Mark was you were with the Nazarene Jesus. Those sound shockingly similar, don't they? Yeah. I think you've got multiple people coming up, making multiple accusations against Peter and his relationship with Jesus. And you've got multiple times that Peter responds. And it all adds up to he denied Jesus a bunch of times. And we can go through all kinds of linguistic hoops to try to tie out the first one in Matthew to the first one in Mark, and they really just aren't the exact same thing. Like, they're kind of sort of close-ish, maybe if you do a lot of rounding, but they're not the exact same thing. And I'll, I'll tell you one more thing, and then we'll move on to the next point. A quote in first century time did not have to be word for word. An accurate quote in the first century was you communicated the intent and the content of the speaker. So if you did that, you're good. Which is why I would say, if you look at the second one in Matthew and the first one in Mark, they seem shockingly similar to me. I think those are probably the same accusation. Which leads me to believe that Peter was presented with far more than three opportunities to deny Jesus, which I think the actual text in Mark implies as well. But the reality is we could spend a lot of time going through the specific words and examples and was this this or was that that that. Uh, and it really doesn't change the storyline that Peter denied Jesus and Jesus' prophecy came true once again. So let me ask you the question. If you are having a conversation with somebody and retelling them about your years with Jesus, as we think Peter was doing with Mark, as Mark was the writer here. What's the last story you're going to leave him with? Something positive, right? I mean, I, I would like for the last words to be something positive. And yet, this is where the Holy Spirit decides to end Peter's story in the Gospel of Mark as an individual. He does show up again and again in the suspect verses there at the very end as the group with the eleven. But this is the last time that we see him here. And, and I think it's a beautiful way to end Peter's story because it only exacerbates his next steps in the Acts of the Apostles. Right? Because when you're telling a story the character becomes more endearing and more substantive to the larger story, the harder and the lower the character has to go through, the emotional pain that the character has to go through. And then they come out on the other side. Right? And so we see Peter get pummeled with these opportunities to deny Jesus, and he does. He totally, completely, 100% fails all these tests that he's given. But Jesus doesn't abandon him. And what I see as the beautiful thing here is the faithfulness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In the face of 
somebody who hasn't always represented him well. So I don't know what your last week was like. I don't know what this morning was like. I don't know all the details that are going on in your life. But if you've had an opportunity, or two, or three, or some number larger than three, to not respond well this week when given a chance to engage with someone about your relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, please know that you are not alone. And please know that the faithfulness of Jesus reaches beyond even that. And I think that is a really beautiful story. So even in the midst of this failure of Peter, we see the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Because Mark chapter 16 is not the end of Peter's story. And I'm grateful that Mark chapter 16 is not the end of Mark's story. And Mark chapter 16 is not even the end of Jesus' story. So lest we think that a study of Mark is all-encompassing of the whole story of, like it, the big story is actually much larger. So we'll keep that in mind as we go. So I will end this week with our question, uh, what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? would have testified had Jesus not about his deity. Which I can only imagine what Caiaphas would have done to his clothes had the rocks cried out, right? Like that would have been... <laughs> it's one of those, could, could, we, could we roll that back and play that version for just a second? Like, <laughs> I don't know. That'd be crazy. That'd be crazy. It's a, it's a beautiful uh, passage of Scripture to be able to look at the grace that we were saying about Yes. Because it's just you, when you look at what the Judas did, and when you look at what Peter did, it's compelling. In, in my mind, I'm thinking, man, what Peter did was worse. Just, I mean, he just flat out denied having anything whatsoever to do with it. Yeah. And you're thinking, boy, that's enough to just lose your salvation, yeah. just from a legalistic standpoint. But Christ. Amen, amen. It is, uh, it is good for us to regularly take off our judging hats and uh, let Jesus be the one who decides, right? Amen to that. All right, so on your tables, you should have a weekly update. So if you would, make sure your names are at the bottom of that. Uh, take one of the sections, uh, pray over those. Once you have prayed over one of those, uh, you are free to go and to worship the one who is... Boy, these words taste awful to somebody who has uh, a legalistic background, uh, who is greater than our doubts and our denials. Wow. And boy, that is some good news for all of us. So those of you online, thanks for uh, watching. If you have any prayer requests, uh, please post those in the comments. We'd love to engage in prayer with those for you. And uh, 
with that, that's the end of the lesson for today. So thanks for coming, guys. Thanks for engaging. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, and weekly email. You can subscribe to all three of those at OurSundaySchool.com. Grace and peace to you.